Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser podcast. It is Monday night. We are back in the ridiculously. I think we're all suffering from the same cold weather, regardless of where we are, because we're mostly Midwest or East Coast over here. I am your host, as always, Timuchin, here in like a ridiculously cold. And I told you guys, I promise complaining, and it's time to deliver, because it is way too fucking cold out there. Way too much snow out there, and I am in no mood to shovel, so it's going to sit out there till. I know April or whatever it takes. So, uh, with us today, wearing a Bills shirt, even though he's not a Bills fan, admittedly, is Galley. Explain yourself. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of Bills shit in the house, and I had to get on a work call at four o'clock. And if you host a all sales work call at four p.m. when there is a playoff football game on a day that should be a holiday, um. I feel like you have to get under people's skin. And there were about 10 or 15 different people on the call with Steelers shit on. So I decided to put a Bills shirt on. So then I figured, well, I'm not going to change twice before this call. So figured you guys would uh, get the Bills as well. And I mean, I figured seeing to the fact that I showed up after watching a game that was important and Bicklin took off the last two Mondays for football games that were important <laughs> to the state of Michigan. Um I figured, you know, we are just lucky that he showed up after the Lions won a playoff game last night. Is that the first in your lifetime or no? You have you have 92 to fall back on, but you were what, three? Ouch. Listen, Damn. Last, last Lions playoff win was before text messaging was a thing. All right? So, Amazing. I'll just give you. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, you've had like a really solid run of football over here. Uh, I'm not excusing the Bills shirt, by the way. So I, I know we're moving on. But I or are you one of those guys, Gally, that have like a AFC team, NFC team kind of thing? I'm the type of guy who has a wife who allows him to do a podcast and watch soccer. I was gonna say he's the type of guy that wants to stay married. I, I'm the type of guy who <laughs> has going around in a Colts thing to get who, married, man. I, I have a wife that 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 genuinely is the reason I watch American football at this point. I oh, root really? for the New York Giants because me and my dad and my sisters rooted for the Giants as kids. I know more about the Buffalo Bills than I do the Giants. I've seen the Bills more times. I went to a Bills-Giants game this year and rooted for the Bills because one team has a chance to win a Super Bowl and the other team had a chance to get the number one pick and then decided to go all Giants on things and get like the eighth pick so they can be mediocre for years to come. The New York Giants are only good if there's a great New England Patriots team in front of them. And, and then they are world beaters. If it isn't that, then you know Man, they then basically that looks like else. you're gonna be like this for a while because I don't see that New England Patriots team turning down anytime soon. But speaking of football and having a good run over here, Bickler, you're like Geez, man, Michigan wins, and then you know, like you're before you even sober up from that, Detroit yeah. wins for the first time in 32 years or something like that. Yeah, I don't even know how to feel about it, it doesn't quite feel real. Um, but it, I have been enjoying it, it's been a while. Honestly, like I was going to ask you guys about this because, you know, you guys are hardcore Americans, not, you know, a transfer from the portal uh, like I am. Uh, but I was like, as I was watching the games yesterday, I mean, you guys basically grew up with the playoff system, right? And then when you guys got introduced to soccer and started following soccer, it got introduced to the league system. I mean, for me, it's kind of like the other way around because even though like basketball and volleyball and all those things are playoff back home in Europe, um, Obviously, soccer, which is the biggest one. And I don't think I started following really basketball till I got you know older anyway. But I guess my question to you guys is when you guys watch now, because as I watch the playoffs and I'm like, man, this is so harsh. Like for a team to kick ass all year and then one guy is out. That can be a key, especially in a game like football. I guess in soccer as well. But and they're out and then they go out and all the entire year of good gets flushed down. It feels really, really harsh. How do you guys feel now? Like, would you like? Do you guys prefer one or the over the other? I prefer the totality of an entire soccer season. Understanding that it takes a lot more to win over thirty-eight matches compared to winning a twelve-team playoff or fourteen-team playoff with a couple buys. Um, but if you're asking me if it bothers me that the Dallas Cowboys look really good all year and then lay an egg, in the <laughs> no, I love American football because it allows me to laugh at Cowboys fans. 
on this morning every single year. Yeah, I think when you have a sport where you can only legitimately play 17, 18 weeks of the year, that's the only format you can legitimately have. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, in an ideal world, do you guys enjoy that more? Like the stress of it, the finality of it, or the weekly agony of a season? Because I'm kind of torn, like I say, because this is more of an adjustment to me, and I still probably don't like it as much. I'm used to it, and I know why it's popular and everything. But I still prefer the the weekly agony uh, that my doctor recommends against. I, I mean, I think I think they both work for the formats that they are. Like, I I don't think that you could do what you're doing with with EPL like the season in in the NFL, and I don't think you could flip it around and do the other. And I think with the NFL, what I like about it is the fact that it is like a true gladiator sport. So, right, who ends up winning the Super Bowl is typically the team with the healthiest and hottest going into the playoffs, right? And I think, like, I I, I think you can to some degree throw some seeding out of the window. But I, I like the formatting. Look, it's like the most – it's one of the hottest sports from a growth standpoint in the entire world. I mean, we can talk about international football being king, right, especially when we talk like – you look at like video game sales for FIFA and stuff and you can, you know, obviously it's the world sport, but there's a reason why all these like soccer playing sports are grasping onto the NFL. It's only a matter of time till the UK gets an NFL team. Um, yeah. I, I think it works for both sides of the coin. Yeah. I mean, FIFA sale, I mean, I kick ass off, uh, kids all around the world uh thanks to fifa sales i don't think you get that as much in madden i mean nfl board misses brian i think let's put i'll be honest like it is very hard to watch i mean this weekend is playoffs kind of like watching chilling at the same time kind of an ordeal but only one decent game out of all four i do find it difficult to sit down and watch a full game that the 49ers are not involved in just because of the stoppages and everything like that. Unless you're doing something else at the same time, like multitasking, it's impossible to just sit there and watch three hours of a game when it's not your team, I think. Aside from playoffs, do you guys like, can you like sit and watch a Sunday night game, Galley? It's Jaguars, Buccaneers, for example. No, probably not. <laughs> but was it the but, matchup but, that threw you off? You're like, no, Jacksonville. No, I mean Jaguars, Bucks, probably not. But I mean, the truth is, we might want have it on. Like we have football on all day at the house. Like we do other things throughout the day on Sunday. We play with the dog. We hang out. We cook. But it's usually on in the background. I think it's just kind of like the backdrop. Yeah. But we're in like pools, and and it's like the fantasy thing. I think it just matters on like what you have to watch it on. I don't personally bet on sports anymore because, like, I actually enjoy watching sports. And uh, sounded like there was I, more to that, but okay. Yeah, because <laughs> I used to bet a lot on sports like 25 <laughs> years ago, and I didn't enjoy them as much. And most importantly, people that watch sports with me didn't enjoy me watching <laughs> sports. Um, but I, I, you know, we'll, we'll, if there's something involved or interesting on the game, there's usually a reason that we have it on. We have it on in the background, but we don't watch a lot of like, you know, other TV other than sports. So it's kind of like NFL soccer during the mornings, NFL in the afternoons type of a household we live in. So maybe that's just us. That makes sense. I understand what you mean by the betting too, but yeah, it's, I think that's what thing that really drives football is like the ridiculous amount of betting you can do. I mean, we went to watch and I did not even know this. I mean, you know, we bet on the games, but it's usually like a parlay, but NG will do like a fan deal team for fantasy or something like that. But, you know, we went to a, like a wing place over here to watch. It was Thursday night game. 49ers are playing the Giants. And we're sitting next to this table. And I was like, ah, oh, see, this is exactly what I didn't want. You know, like people rooting for Giants sitting right next to me. And I'm not going to be able to enjoy watching the game. Well, then I realized they're just constantly betting. So they're rooting for anybody and everybody out there based on what is going on. And these guys were literally placing bets by the drive. Like, you know, by the quarter, by the drive, he has to get 18 yards in this drive and stuff like that. And it was just like, holy mother of God, there must be a lot of money uh, being. But I think that's like the biggest attraction of football. But, yeah, I just want to get your guys' take because I do feel like it's just like a total different. The playoff thing is like a total different concept. But more importantly, we have excellent trivia. And I'm not just saying it. It is really excellent. Okay. So 
this is obviously from BJ. If it was from me, it would be a lot more basic. But um, it's coming from BJ. So, as of today, Liverpool has played 1,210 Premier League matches. Six out of five at home, six out of five on our way. What is the most common match results for home games and for away games? With giving me the score with the home teams, obviously, score first. Bickler. PJ. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like really good. Welcome, it was really good. Welcome back, PJ. Welcome back. We missed you. We missed you so much. Uh. Most popular score for Liverpool home games and most popular score for away games. Oh, yeah. He's back, baby. I thought this was really good. Uh, I'll do three-one home. The two uh, is special. I like it. Yep. Yeah. When uh, away, I'll go one-one draw. I don't know, dude. This is ridiculous. Galley. Oh, by the I way, say- I should mention this because BJ sent this to me earlier today, I believe, or maybe late last night. Oh no, earlier today. And I did ask Matush right after we went off of air. I was going through the messages that were sent during the show. And Matush nailed it with the first guess to the point where I was like, oh, was this on TV or something? He's like, no, I just guessed. Did I get it? It was kind of ridiculous, but he got it dead on. So kudos to the Polish prince over here. So you guys got to out with the Polish prince, Galley. I was going to go 2-0 at home, 1-1 on the road. That's dead on. See, maybe Matush is not that special. 2-0 2-0 at home, uh, 72 times, 11.9%, and 1-1 away, uh, which is 64 times. So we technically got three out of four answers. I mean, that's for that's pretty fucking good for this group. Well, Yali got the answer correct. I don't know what you're doing. I got half of it, four. right? What are you talking about? <laughs> you're doing unnecessary math, my friend. They I got Yali got the question. We don't have this, but I got something, right? Like... A... <laughs> I well, like you know, take your football wins and walk away with it because you're not getting this one. Uh, but yes, that so let me ask you guys this: what is the most common results since August 15, 1992 of all the games played, which is 12,229 games? What is the most common results? I don't know. The 2-0. Most common result overall since... Overall, yes. The, the, the first one was Liverpool that you answered correct that apparently you were not sure on. Uh, which no, I, I know that okay. part. Okay. I'm making sure I understand this part. I want to get all of it right, for Christ's sake. If I'm going to keep answering things, I want to keep a streak going. Um, I'm, I'm going to say the most common result is 1-1. Bickler. Did you say 2-0? Is that what you said? I mean, sure. Yeah, that's what I said. It is 1-1. God damn, Galley's on a roll over here. What a start to the year for trivia. <laughs> it is 1-1. put on this winner's shirt. It's what happens when you wear a shirt of a team you don't root for. They'll probably win the Super Bowl now. Probably 1,405 times is 1-1. And the biggest, you know, uh, the critical view of football over here of soccer i should say is the lack of scoring uh but the nil nil draw is only fifth uh fifth most common with 984 so uh and i would think over time this has changed right like with the rules and stuff like that i think it's been a lot more scoring than the good old days not as much defense a lot more attacking kind of thing victor it's okay man it's okay it's you're warming up it's it's just such a fantastic use of our time I thought it was really interesting. So you got all the guesses going over here. And Galley won. Galley, congratulations. You are the First winner. for everything. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to the boys. Uh, obviously, no game this weekend. Almost a perfect weekend in terms of some scores, except freaking Kevin De Bruyne spoiling the weekend. But aside from that, it was all good. Are you guys shocked? I and mean, obviously, we were going through the headlines this morning. It's kind of like hard to... Uh, it's weird that not even a lot of 
legitimate or half-assed legitimate rumors, Gally, in terms of like transfers. Usually January, you know, that's what the media does to get some clicks and stuff like that. It's almost like either they can't be bothered with it or they can really make up a scenario where it looks realistic. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple pieces to it. I think part of it is is three of the or four of the biggest spenders in the Premier League, especially when it comes to like January type signings, the United's, even cities, Chelsea's in the years past, none of them can spend money. They're all afraid of financial fair play regulations. Like City, or, or Chelsea admits they can't buy players. United has come out and said they can't buy players. I don't think City wants to push the envelope right now to try to try to secure new players. So I think when you have teams that aren't about to spend and are petrified, like, you know, Kazi saying in the comments, I think when you have player teams like that that are afraid to spend, it levels the playing field. You also have teams around Europe that don't want to spend because there are a bunch of wide open leagues when it comes to top six, seven, eight places yeah. in almost every major league. So I think teams think that they can still get themselves into position. So I just think that what you're seeing are middle teams selling, trying to make money. Um, Chelsea sold a couple players, you know, United sent Sancho off to Dortmund. I think there's moves like that right now to be had, but I don't think there's going to be major moves. I think it's going to be a really, really, really light uh summer or winter compared to what we expected coming off of a crazy spending in the summer yeah it feels almost a lot more dumping uh of people and contracts on loans and stuff like that as opposed to like adding people bickler i mean what do you think and do you like it do you hate it that we are kind of involved in stuff um <clears throat> i don't know it just it feels a little bit like market correction to me it feels like a big summer and then we're just kind of the seeing the bubble on some of these huge fees. I think you do have a number of teams, whether it's teams like forest to all the way, like teams of Chelsea who over the course of like the last three windows have just kind of loaded up and now are sit with a bunch of pieces. They either got to unload or figure out what works. So I think, I think it's a combination of that, but it does overall just feel like market correction. Um, I do think like, I mean, typically we'll go out and get a player if we feel like we need one in January. We'll just see what happens here. Um, but I, I think what Galley said is really true. I think a lot of things are really wide open across the top five leagues. And so I think there's a lot of teams that kind of feel like they don't need to go out and, and take that unnecessary financial risk right now. And yeah, Cersei was mentioning the comments too, obviously like the AFCON and the, I mean, all these guys being away and, you know, nobody wants them. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't want anybody in my national team worried about or negotiating freaking contracts and stuff. Just focus on the task on hand. So that automatically eliminates a lot of, I mean, ultimately top players from those continents out of the equation too. But so Cosgrove says, and I I guess I do agree with it to a certain extent. Um, Kwanzaa has been a godsend for us. Are we set? Like, okay, two-part question. Gally, do you feel like we're set? We can just stick with it. And hold hand and, you know, like stay where we're at. And if that's the case, what's the first player that you're looking to get back the most that's going to make the biggest impact when they get back? Well, I'll take the first part is I think we are set because I don't think we're buying another player. I, I don't think there was a center back going to be bought in this December window that was going to come in and be able to play a role by the end of the season. I think the kid has kind of supplanted himself into the rotation He's proven himself the clock, played big minutes and starts. And I think he's third or fourth right now on the depth chart. Whether or not at some point one of these other fullbacks pushes Gomez back into the center back argument that pushes him down the depth chart, that's a different story. Uh, but right now I think it is Kwanzaa. I think we are where we are because I don't think we're going to spend frivolously. And I don't think a player will come up that is worth us spending. I mean – you look at the guy that Tottenham just signed, um, Dragostine or whatever the guy's name is, the center back. He looks a good player. They look like they paid about a 20% premium to get him during December or get him in January. And they had to overpay. And I just don't yeah. think we're going to do that because I don't think we're in that type of need. So I think this is the side we have. And as far as players we need back, we need Trent back more than anyone because – 
I've heard about Trent missing two, three weeks before, and he always seems to miss like four or five weeks when they say Trent will be out for two or three weeks. And we need Trent back right now because I think he adds a lot to how we actually build right now from our midfield. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to that center back, I feel like it goes back to what you initially said. Like, not only are you going to overpay to get him, how long is it going to be before we, or not be we, but uh, if Klopp, you know, trusts them uh, to, like, kind of, like, play him out there. So I think that's, like, the biggest biggest concern, probably. Nobody's ready to be able to justify a high fee to come in and start right away. Nobody like that is available. And I think I understand maybe I didn't put Trent in my... I was trying to think, you know, like who I had on my list. I didn't put Trent maybe because I was thinking he's going to come back a lot sooner. I just feel like because of the center back being the biggest concern, Bickler, I think I'm looking forward to... I mean, I would say Robertson, one or the other. Kazi was saying, you know, any left back as well. Coming back so that at least we'll know, hey, we can have Gomez to flex in there if need be. I mean, that's I guess that would be my argument as to why you probably need a, a center back. I don't know that this is a team. I don't know that if this is a, a league that you can run the stretch from January to summer with a three center back rotation. I don't yeah. I don't know if you can do that. And and right now, on top of that, you have you you lose your depth with Gomez out left back. You don't have a backup left back. Uh, you have, I mean, I've been happy with Bradley. I think that's kind of the silver lining. Is like we wanted to see what we had there, and so far so good. So I mean, I feel good with Bradley as depth. But for me, I don't feel like. I think if you look at this team, like I talked about, I thought we needed another center back last summer. And if you look at this team and you know that you need to add center back depth. I think you probably should just go ahead and do that when you're playing in a league in a year where the title is wide open for the first time in ever. I'd do it now. Um, I know that the market's not great. I know that you're going to overpay in January. It just doesn't make sense to me to wait. I would play from a position of strength personally. So what is your gut feeling, though? I mean, do you think? No, I don't think we're buying anybody. I, I totally agree with Gally. I don't think we're buying anybody. But, I mean, I would. So that's a worry that we're not getting anybody. Fair to for, say. For me, it is. I don't think we have enough depth uh, across the back line. And I, I haven't felt like we've had enough depth in probably a year and a half back there. I mean, Kaz says Virgil, Kanate, Gomez, and Kwanzaa. Phillips, for God's sakes, let's not mention that. I mean, I better bring in, bring back like Hando or Fabinho. So take Phillips out of that and take Gomez out of there and you got three. Because that's what I'm, I'm talking about. I guess you the issue there is reliability of those guys, right, right. Gary? I mean, yeah, like Konate, we don't know if he's going to be going back to what Bickler is saying, especially in the three freaking center back rotation. We, I mean, in a four center back rotation, he wasn't as reliable. He would play two, miss one, play three, miss two, and stuff like that. I guess that's why I'm concerned as well because I look at that and you know, Virgil, we're like, okay, Virgil's Virgil, you know, he'll be there. Hopefully, nothing goes wrong there. But all the other names, I mean, Kwanzaa being the young guy, and the other two do not say they'll be there consistently when we need them. I, I I agree. I just think Gomez has to be considered, which is, I mean, you know, I know I made a joke about it in Discord today. I think it's part of the reason that they recalled Calvin Ramsey's loan. It's part of the reason that they've been playing Chambers and Bradley, and they're making sure that these kids get some run. I think that we are going to see – a lot of Trent is what it comes down to, which is why, once again, I come back to Trent being the most important player to come back and be fit because I think he has to play just about every big minute of every match. And I think that's why, as we move forward, we should see a world where when Trent needs a break, it's not Gomez every time deputizing for him at right back. And I don't think Gomez can be coming on to matches to finish out every match at right back to help see it out like the Milner big boy role can't be yeah. Gomez's down the stretch. Cause I think Gomez has to kind of be there as our Kanate insurance policy at this point without Mata. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that's, yeah, you're right. That's probably where the young kids are hopefully going to come in. And the issue with that, of course, Bickler is consistency. I mean, you might get like a really good performance out of a kid, but does not mean that next week they're going to show up and you're going to see the same kid. It could be a totally different character out there that can cost you points. Yeah, I just, 
I think I worry about when we look at the back four and we kind of use Gomez as a plug and play. If he's getting serious time at full pack positions, then we can't, you can't consider him center back depth too. I mean, you can, I just don't think it does you any good to do that. Um, but I do like the idea, like as, as much as we talk about getting a new body back there, I absolutely love the fact that we're willing to get these kids minutes because I think it's really important at these positions across the back line to know what you have and to know whether that's going to be a piece that you're going to rotate seriously in. Because I think a player like Bradley can save you 25, 30 million. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if he, if he end up legitimately ends up being a, a proper fullback that can put in the shift and play in a different way across the traditional back four, that gives you options you didn't have. It gives you life after Trent and you don't have to go into the market for it. So I do think it's important to do that. I think that's why we saw Chambers go out on loan, Beck get moved back up. So I do think they're making those moves. I do like that. I just think for me at the center back position, I think you need to have that additional depth. But we haven't had it. And I feel like, honestly, this is like our third center back crisis since Quap's been there. So maybe it's just one of those <laughs> things, too, where he likes he likes to run it light back there. I don't know. But at the same time, looking at the positive end of things, I know, I don't know, maybe like a month or so ago when there were a lot more center back rumors. Um, I think it was, or maybe right after Matzab went out, Galley, there were a lot more center back rumors. And I think one of the things we talked about at the time is maybe Robertson and you know, ordeal or like, you know, cost us and stuff like that is worse than it sounds. And they're not going to be back anytime soon. You would think if we're not doing a move, that does kind of say that those guys will be back as expected. And there is no hiccups there. From what it sounds like, Robertson is basically back and like, kind of like running on grass and just waiting to get into full fitness and that he'll be back in the next few weeks. So I think if Robertson's back by early February, like right after this run of run of fixtures, right around the time Europe comes back, I think we'll be in good shape. It looks like Costas will be like late February. I think they said, yeah. right? Like, pro, so, and let's be honest, it's Costas. Like he'll come back and then he'll play two matches and we'll be like, God, has he just been sitting for a month and a half sleeping on the bench? Uh, where the hell's this guy been? Um, but I, I, I just think that it really comes back again. It just, the whole defense and everything is about continuity, but I think it really all hinges, starts and ends with the midfield. Like we've talked about. I think sometimes we judge our defense on how well the midfield's playing because when they're playing really well, our defense seems to not concede that many goals. And when our midfield is all over the place on roller skates or just completely mismatched and poorly set up by the manager, I think we also make our defenders look really poor no matter which of the aforementioned center backs are playing, right? Yeah. And I think not only midfield, I would actually ex extend that to the front line too. When the press is not there this defense is set to fail. I mean, the way we line up is, and the system we play, if the press and the pressure on the ball is not there, there's nothing you can do as a center back with a high line if the guy has all day as a professional football player. And the other guy has all day to time his run and stuff like that. You need pressure on the ball. So that is like a key point. Like Sorzy says, who's available as a center back. And I think that's like the biggest issue, right? There's nobody there that you can be like, yep, Come on over, kids, and like get him in here. But in some ways, then, Bickler, did this break? Do you think this break came at a perfect time? So we buy us a couple of weeks to kind of get closer to the guys, or while we were in the rollover here, might as well keep going. Uh, I mean, I think the break is especially good for players like Soboslai, who just needed to sit. Um, I know he's hurt anyway, but I think it's good to have these guys get a little bit of a break and get, get some rest and rotation back um, for sure. Um, I don't know. I worry about these guys that are out on internationals that aren't going to get a whole lot, but I mean, that's just part of the game now. So I, I don't know, like from a timing standpoint, I, I know that you can say like, well, do you, do you want that? Do you want to break up the rhythm and the flow when, when we're getting results at the top? Right. I think, mm -hmm. I don't know if you can really like, sit here and pick those times, right? I think anytime that you can get a little bit of a break's a good time, as long as it's not one where we're sending all of our best guys out on, on internationals. Are you guys watching? Have you guys watched any of the games, by the way? Like, did you guys watch Mo or anything like that? Mo, Endo? I watched a little bit of the score on Sunday on my phone. 
uh, when I saw Egypt was down one nothing, and I was like, "Wow, Egypt's going to lose to the team that was ranked." I'm like, "Egypt might lose to a team that is ranked 29th out of 30 teams to qualify for this tournament in the first of three. This might help this guy come back really fast." And then I thought to myself, "Wait a second, this is the African Cup of Nations. They're either going to call the match with two minutes to go if Egypt is winning." Or they're going to play until Egypt either ties or levels. And then they played just up. I'm pretty sure they held up a board that said, we'll play till Egypt gets a penalty. And then Mo scored. I know there's a lot of stock being put into, by the way. I know we kind of like shifted slightly away from uh, the squad questions. But do you guys put any stock to that? Like Bickler, like what Mo does over there? I feel like... To him, it's like two different games. I realize these guys put a lot of care, and I mean, this is the cup that they would probably most likely to win. It's not like you know, they're not going to, it's going to take a lot for them to win like a world cup or something like that. This is something a realistic goal for a national team. But in some ways, do you think like you know, a poor outing by Egypt over there really hurts Mo's morale, or is it kind of like you play on Tuesdays and with a good team? And then on Fridays, you play with this other team. They're all shit, and it's really miserable. You're like, I can't wait till it's Tuesday again. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I'd imagine as a player, it feels really different. Like, I feel like he probably feels the pressure during AFCON. And then when you're out of that situation and out of that atmosphere, it's got to feel – I imagine it feels a little bit like a bubble, like where you're, like, in a different – like, I don't think that you feel a lot of that AFCON blowback about great performances or bad performances when you're on the other side of the, you know, of the Mediterranean back in, you know, back in the UK. Um, but I mean, may, maybe you do. I, I don't know. I think, I think for a player like Mo, like he's already established himself as like a legend, right? I mean, Mr. Africa. I, I, well, like on the, on the Mount Rushmore African players, Mo's already there. Right. So like, I think like, I don't know what that feels like for a player like that at that position. Like, I don't know if you, I feel like you almost reach a certain point and like, you don't have as much pressure because you've already established yourself there. Right. And you're already like your country's guy. And I think he's already taking Egyptian to like, sort of like unprecedented heights for that country in, in football. So like, I don't know that he necessarily has that overriding pressure that some of these guys do when they go back. Yes, Marcus says, as long as Mo comes back healthy, who cares about the African Cup? And my answer would be Mo. And or I guess my question, is it Mo? Like, well, because yeah. we know, I mean, we talked about it a lot over here, how it's fucked up trans minds uh, for months over here, that whole international team thing. I guess it goes back to what Bickler is saying, Gally, in terms of, you know, total different status. Mo is already established as an international star and then like an African star, but you know, you know, his conversation is like one of the best African players of all time and stuff like that. Having said that though, do you, what do you think in terms of like the impact that has to this? When I look at that and I watch a couple of games, I didn't get to watch the Egypt game. I did watch the Cameroon game today. I mean, it was playing as I was working. I didn't watch, watch, but, um, I mean, that's all I can think of is some of these guys play on top teams and we've all played on crappy teams and really good teams, sometimes at the same time because they were like one of them was a club team, the other one was like a school team and stuff like that. And sometimes when you play with the crappier team, you just can't wait to get back to the other one and be like, God damn, man, I missed that shit. Yeah, I mean, I think he wants to be playing with the top level of football and he doesn't look like it. And, and I think it was a non or someone mentioned in the comments they're just playing him out of position. It's almost playing him like yeah. a playmaker than they are more the goal scorer that he is. Um, here's the thing. He's 31 years old going on 32. He plays at one of the biggest clubs in the world in one of the best leagues in the world. And normally he's on the biggest stage in the world. AFCON is not the same, but it is representing your country, which can only be something of huge, huge importance. Do I think this means as much as him as, say, four years ago when he got all the way to the final and was literally going up against a rival teammate that people in the local press put him up against yeah. on a daily basis for who the best player in Africa was at the time? I think that meant more to him. Like, I think there was a hangover when he came back after missing yep. a penalty against Senegal and losing that African Cup of Nations. Like, I think that was a big deal to him. I think this would be a letdown because the guy's an ultimate winner and always wants to win, but I don't think it has any negative impact on him 
if Egypt goes out in the quarterfinals of this tournament. He doesn't come back and sulk his way into February. I still think he tries to score five the first time he gets to play I in the Premier so League again. I, I think that's kind of like a personality thing, too. I mean, that's the kind of like dude he is. But then again, like you're saying, and that, obviously that's a lot more devastating to win – you know what like i say probably for egypt it is the ultimate trophy to be able to win realistically that he can achieve as a national player and lose that in the penalty picks i'm sure you know uh it is like a different ordeal and it's going to hurt a lot more uh salah isn't just a player egypt see him an ambassador and he already gets a lot of stick for egypt fans for having a christmas tree and we were talking about it earlier i mean anon says and that's the thing it's like built pressure right like there's like that commercial about breaking the jinx and winning it and stuff like that and there is a lot of criticism on players. I was shocked when that Mane documentary was out, for example, how much crap he gets from Senegal like fans because I think everybody compares them to what they do in their club team. And looking back to Turkey, I mean, I find myself doing the same thing. Like Hakan Chalhanolu, like he plays like an idiot and you're like, if he did this shit, he wouldn't be starting for Inter is what makes you think. Do you guys find yourself doing the same thing? Like Bickler, when you watch, I don't know, play of the month, Pusik, for example, in Serie A, do you watch him and be like, this asshole, if he did this in Italy, he wouldn't be the player of the month. He's doing it here. Are you more critical looking at the club performance, comparing him to the international performance? Uh... I actually see more of the opposite. Like I see more players. Yeah. yeah, I see more players at like the international level that you're like, why don't you do that at the club level? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like I see more. I see more of that than the other way around. But I think is that due to the competition though? In the US's case, in some ways, you know, they do play in the qualifiers against some really low level opposition as opposed to you know. I mean, it could yeah, be. I don't. I that. honestly don't watch our international team enough to know. Just because like. I, if I'm going to watch our international team, I'm going to follow them. And I don't like want to put myself through the emotional distress of following a nation who does not <laughs> like select players on merit. Like, uh, I mean, I just can't, I can't physically do it. So um, I can't say for the U S but I can definitely say that like for like, when you look at, I mean, I think England's a really good example, right? I think that there are players in that setup that play better from a system standpoint than they do. Um, and people forget about it. Harry Maguire, great example of that. Like plays great in England setup, um, gets overlooked and trashed at United. Um, so, I mean, there's there's players like that across the board. I think the systems are different, and I think the casual fan doesn't understand that. Like there are players that are specifically great in certain systems that don't gel unless an international manager knows how to make that happen. And I think that's the pressure they get. I mean, you know, Anan says, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. They're saying if you cared about Egypt as much as you care about Liverpool, which, you know, it's not the same thing. And Serzi says, personally, I don't care about England growing up and watching Barnes get abused, put me off. England never treated Liverpool players right. I think, you know, growing up, like when I was a kid, it was more always about similar to the U.S. national team. Gally, you follow it obviously over here a lot closer than you suffered the torture for the rest rest of the Americans in terms of like following it. But I mean, growing up in Turkey, it was always like since pretty much 95, 99% of the players played in Turkey, it was always like how many guys from Fenerbahce, how many guys from Galatasaray? And it was almost like similar to here. How many guys from Major League Soccer? How many guys from here kind of a thing? As all the Turkish players went all over the place, that is not as much a conversation now as it used to be. So now it has become for me saying, you play for entire Milan, like Chalar Soyuncu. You were not playing like that when you were playing for Leicester. You were not playing this like careless and stuff like that. So I thought about it afterwards when we talked about it on Discord about, you know, how much you know criticism more gets and stuff. I think I am personally more critical watching the club level how do you approach like when you watch the US team? Yeah, I, I think I'm I think I'm more critical of like why do you not play this way with the US team? You know, uh, the left back for Fulham, Antoine Robinson, is a perfect example. Like he's put himself in the shop window as one of the better Premier League fullbacks right now going forward, creates, defends, plays well for a really mediocre Fulham side. <laughs> probably gets himself a good move. I've never seen him create a goal-scoring opportunity for the United States men's national team. <laughs> that might be down to the fact that the manager is terrible and has bad tactics. And I think that's what I get frustrated. I think with me, it's 
I watch guys like Pulisic start to like, you know, tear it up in Serie A and play really well, or when he was playing well in Dortmund or Gio Reyna before it. You see players go and have flashes at the international level playing overseas with better opposition. And I question why doesn't it translate when they come back home? But I think that comes down to to Paul's point. It's about tactics and, and putting guys together. So I almost have it on the opposite. Like, I feel like it. they're stunted because okay. they go overseas and they start to actually, like, grow in their games, whether it's Tyler Adams or even Weston McKinney. And then they come back and they get told to like play like Americans and have grit and determination and steel. And you're like, so really what you're saying is don't be as talented as those guys. Kick them in the shins and hope late we can cross one into the box and head one in. And it's like we just fall back on that. And I think that's what frustrates me as a U.S. soccer fan when I like compare club versus country. But that's because I root for a country that is 30 years behind the clubs I watch. Is that mainly because like the coaching has not improved at the same level that the players have improved ultimately? And I think that's ding, why ding ding. I think that's why Turkey has started importing managers, but that's morely to avoid drama again. Because obviously every player you bring is going to have some kind of a background. They used to play for Fabacha, they used to play for so whatever they do, everything is seen through that glass as opposed to what they do. You bring a dude from Italy. He doesn't know what's what, so he's not going to care. And like I say, I think 70, 80% of the squad right now is not playing inside of Turkey anyway, so I think that makes like a huge difference. But, okay, let's get back to the boys. I just wanted to take in this random week where I don't want to talk anything about transfer rumors. I'm just asking you guys random uh, questions throughout the show. But let's get to the game and talk a little bit about the Bournemouth game. Bournemouth away, it does feel like... I mean, nothing against uh, the FA Cup matchup over there, but obviously we're going to go to Fulham away three days from then. Does that affect the lineup at all, Bickler, or do you basically put out the best you can because you need those three points? I mean, it probably has to affect the lineup somewhat. Um, but I think I think we're doing this thing where we're playing with the same core group of seven or eight players. And really what we're doing is we're rotating some pieces around the front three and we're rotating the position that is – we're rotating the midfielder that's not Mac or Jones. So, I mean, we're basically deciding whether it's going to be Graven Birch or, or Elliot, essentially, in that spot right now. And I think that's typically kind of what we're seeing right now. Gomez is going to have to be playing left back. I think, you know – do you want to start Bradley versus Bournemouth and give Trent a rest like, or Trent's out? So I don't know like what I, – I think you're kind of locked into some things here, but I think you will see some rotation across the front three between those two games. I think the biggest question is the front. I mean, I yeah. thought when we initially saw the experiment of Elliot as a right wing, and then we made the change, Gally. I think we all assumed, okay, we tried that. That didn't work, so now this is what we're doing now. And then, boom, we go out the next game. And it, like, wait, I, I thought we did this. It's not working. And then we change it again. Do we go out again and say third time is the charm? Or do we line up differently with the front three? I feel like Jota will start against Bournemouth. And I think that's because he gives you the opportunity to score early and maybe put the game to bed. I I, I think Jota starts against Bournemouth. I think he comes off the bench against Fulham. Whether Elliott gets a start up top in one of those games, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I I think with 72 hours to 100 hours, whatever it is in between the games, you have to balance out the Bournemouth match. But I think you have to get three points. So to Paul's point, I think we go out against Bournemouth. It's, you know, the normal back five we would expect. And I think one of the two, probably Kanate, probably sits against Fulham, and you probably start Kwanzaa. Um, and I think that Klopp's just going to have to go that route. Like you're going to have to play Kwanzaa in some pretty big matches moving forward. Like he's going to play in knockout matches in the Europa League, whether you like it or not. Like you're just going to have to rotate players or you're not going to be able to keep Kanate healthy for the whole entire season. So to me, it's all about the defense really. Cause I think you keep Bournemouth from scoring, you will find ways to score. Uh, but if you give them opportunities, they have a good chance to score as well because they're really good going forward. So the Bournemouth match is a tricky one for me. Yeah. Don't overlook that or it could get ugly early. 
Yeah, I feel the same way. That is more of I don't know. I mean, maybe unfair to Fulham, but I'm more worried about the Bournemouth game. A is the you know for the league title, you need those three points. We see City, so you, it's back to the every game has to be a three point mode. We don't even know if City is there yet. I mean, in some ways, this was a depleted Newcastle team, but it was away, but they made it happen. But you see Kevin De Bruyne coming back and stuff like that, so we don't know if they're in that mode yet. But better be safe than sorry. You got to get three points from every Premier League game for the front three. Bickler, do you think we continue with the same experiment until it works? Or do you think we do start with like Diaz on the right hand side and maybe like Nunez on left and stuff like that? Uh, I love Nunez on the left. I'd love to see Nunez on the left. Um, I don't. I, I think I don't think we're going to see that now, um, just because I think that we're starting to see some semblance of form for Diaz for the first time in a while. So yeah. I, I think we I think we probably keep that. Um, I we I think if anything like if any if I took anything away from these last two games it's that like the jury is out on Harvey Elliott up top and that is not a viable solution like yeah. just it doesn't it doesn't work for the system like he doesn't have the direct on the ball pace if that position requires um, but he makes everything work in the midfield so I think really the the, the idea is. What do you do with that right side, right? Is it going to be Jota? Is it going to be like what do you end up doing? I thought the best. I thought the best look was actually Gakpo playing in that spot, but playing a little bit inverted and further in. Um, I thought that's where it almost looked. It was almost like an off the shoulder striker at yeah. that point when he was playing it. And I thought that. I thought that looked like the best sort of. Out of all the things we've kind of thrown up there in that right side with Moat, I thought that was what looked the best personally. Where are we at with Diaz now? You've probably been the most critical, Gally, so we'll go to you on this one. I always felt like Nunez's presence in the middle kind of blocks him in, uh, cock blocks him, if you will. Like, he can't cut to the middle. He's always in the way and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, he does seem to sometimes overtry, but like Bickler is saying, he has been more and more effective, and even if he's not creating stuff, sometimes his final pass in the third is not the right pass or the like the, the pace you wanted us and stuff but he creates a lot of space and movement that's we were kind of lacking yeah I, I mean he's coming back into form look the guy went through a terrible 2023 i mean part of it is is you you bust up a knee then you come back from injury and you get hurt again then yeah. like street soldiers steal your dad i mean i'm not sure how anyone <laughs> comprehends that as like like when you're quantifying bad year <laughs> it's about as bad as they come right like and so like we're talking about the fact that he's like starting to put in some key performances again like it's normal like hey hey it's funny that this guy's playing well again it's here like, here wow, your well, dad you know, is here like you know, yeah you know his dad's no longer sleeping in a tent like it's freaking mash for christ's sake like this is craziness but i i think what it is is i was critical at times because i felt like he offered nothing for all his industry like I'd hear about how great he was and people would talk about his pace and then tell me about his electric movements and his stepovers. And then he'd kick the ball into the stands and you'd be like, wait, what exactly are we doing? Like, it's fine to take people on, but if your goal is to take people on and then you kick it off your standing leg, like, you know, Anthony does that for 85 million and United <laughs> fans hate him and we all make fun of him. And I, I just want an end product. I get the Darwin thing, but I will say like, Long before Darwin was clogging up space in the midfield, Luis Diaz was getting lost when he got on the inside of a left back. So, like, like this guy has been running down an empty cul-de-sac since he got here. I think my biggest thing is I just want him to have a role in the team. It's either be a goal creator or be a goal scorer. And I think he gets caught up in between them at times where, like, he can give you the flick and the trick in a worldie. But what I really need him to do is – get to the end line and actually cut the ball back and hit someone on the penalty spot for once instead of kick it off a fullback shin and then hold his hand up like this, like as he like looks off everyone in the middle of the box. So I just need end product from his game because I think we see all the tools. I just don't know that he's ever lived up to what we all saw, which was the guy who showed up and for 90 days was the best player at the club in a time where we really needed a great player. I don't know he's been that great outside of those 90 days. Though. See, that's what I was just going to ask, though. Like, when he came in, 
and he was that guy, Bickler. Is that because, I mean, it's not like the guy forgot to cross the ball or like lost his first touch that badly. Was he doing this? I can't really recall. I mean, I know he had a couple of key goals and stuff, but he I had mean, those goals this year too. Is it just because he brought that like pace and enthusiasm and stuff we just did not have? So it was like, this is great. Like, was he the same player or has he lost something compared he, to that? I don't think that? like if you're like, okay, so this is all completely subjective and really hard to discuss, but it's part of sports ball. Um, I think when I look at Diaz, I see a player that doesn't look like a player that has the confidence he had pre-injury, like straight up. He just, he doesn't look like he has like, like he played, it's almost like he played angry and now like he got like sensed that injury it's like taking some of the wind out of his sail. And I don't know if he's just, you know, sometimes when you have those two big injuries, you start to like, it starts to play with you. I think mentally where like you start yeah. to not go in yeah. as hard. You, you, you like, you maybe don't take that cut quite as like um, as quickly or as harshly as you would have before, because in the back of your head, you're like thinking about your knee buckling, you know, like I, I think there's something yeah. there. Uh, and I think like, I think it's going to take a sustained run of him playing well to play out of that. But I, I really do think like, cause yeah, he dragged us single-handedly over the line towards the end of the season when we yep. needed somebody. Right. And and I don't think his form dropped the next year. It's just, he got hurt, you know? And like, I think we just, he comes back, he's getting his feet under, he gets hurt again. And I just think it's a, a player that doesn't look like the same like dog before, you know? And I think that's the difference. Sorry to cut you off, Timothy, if you're going to say that. That's the difference between like him and Ajolta, right? Like the injuries themselves. One was a massive knee injury to a guy who relied on pace and drive and, and used that as like his like his major weapon against defenders, where I think Jolta uses guile and speed and like quick twitch movements and his finishing ability. So where Jolta like he can be out for a, for a month and a half, two months, and then you're like he just pops up, comes in, and in the 85th minute scores a game winner in like a Champions League match. Because I just think there's a difference, and I think it's the type of injuries, and it's the way you respond to it. And I think it's just going to take Diaz a little bit more time. I'm not saying it's like over for the player. I'm just saying he ha he does have a lot to like earn it back. And I think at times we see it like with the consistency Gakpo gives you, the size. And sometimes when you bring in Diaz, you just get this – Nunez gives you unexpected chaos, right? We all talk about it, but he also kind of now kind of fits into the system with his chaos. I think at times Diaz is all over the place and the guy behind him in midfield doesn't know where he's going to be. I think the guy playing in the center doesn't always know where to be. And, yeah. and I think it's, yeah. it's great for going at defenders. I don't know. It's always great for creating interplay in the final third. And we always are critical about this team picking the wrong pass right now in the final third. That might be down to one of the three guys in the final third not being on the same page with the other guys. Yeah, and I think it goes back to, you know, what I was saying about, like, Nunez. And I think, you know, they're both causing chaos and it's part of their game, right, with their movement, speed, taking people on. And kind of like, I, I agree with Bigler. I think that's a really good point, by the way. Uh, so Bigler didn't win trivia, but, you know, wins the point of the day. Uh, that is, I, you know, that is taking away – every player is different, right? I mean, but when a big part of your game is that aggression and playing that angry and that's taken away from injury, obviously there's a lot. But I think when I was talking about him overlapping with Nunez, perhaps sometimes – those chaoses were running into each other and not producing anything in return. And I think that's why I actually Nunez, I like Nunez on the, separate him as much as possible, put Diaz on one side and Nunez on the other side so they can do whatever the hell they want and create the chaos on the opposite sides without like bumping into each other. But it's going to be interesting. I just don't want to see the Harvey experiment again because I think it's unfair on Harvey. It reminds me of when we played Jones on the left wing. And then everybody mm. was like criticizing him. It's like, well, that's not, you know, you're just setting up to fail. So, like, what do you expect the guy to do? So we only got four minutes left. We can't go into the Jones comment again today. Yes, let's not go into that conversation. I think we talked about it uh, in the Friday morning show for 
quiet some time, trying to talk some sense into Anan, uh, and then obviously a lot on Discord today. But we do have time to talk about this. So people are not going around wearing shirts of teams they do not actually support, uh, and they can actually wear something <laughs> that they like believe in. Uh, with Jello Fashions, we're partnering, so our new swag shop. We did have a soft launch actually for all the contributors. Uh, so all kinds of American Scouser apparel coming your way t-shirts hoodies and all kinds of kind of stuff so we'll release the link later this week is that time to put away that is, is the wifey going to let you switch from the bill's shirts are you gonna have to ask permission and when you do ask the permission are you gonna get it to switch to an american scouser shirt first of all i got a whole slew of american scouser shit <laughs> right in my goddamn floor right in front of my face um I got the custom Lucho shirt. I got the Matip shirt. I got the sports freaking shirts. I got them all, people. I got the windbreaker. I got a koozie somewhere up there. Um, who knows? Maybe we might even give a few of these fine apparel away to a listener or two along the road. Um, but no, stuff looks great. Really do like it. And if it keeps a happy wife and I keep a happy life, I will keep wearing this damn Bills shirt for the rest of my time. Thank you very much. Bickler, I envision all the boys wearing American Scouser tees and running around. I mean, I'm just lucky if I can keep like shirts and pants on everybody. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'll just take American Scouser shorts yeah. on each one of them. Thank you very much. They are boys Scouser under the age of I literally just need to make sure everybody's accounted for and alive. That's that's. <laughs> Just show up for the morning roll call. It's all yeah. we're asking for the kids at this point. Yeah. David says, Allison, Bradley, Konate, Van Dyke, Gomez. Like it. McAllister, Elliot, Gravenberg. Gravenberg kind of scares me. I love that lineup. I'm all in with David's lineup there. Any objections, I, dear honor? I could see that being the lineup versus Bournemouth. And I mean, maybe... we're assuming Trent is not ready. And if he's not 100% ready, I'm okay with this instead of risking him, right? You can't play Trent. Uh, I don't think you can play Trent against Bournemouth. I don't think you can play Trent. Honestly, I don't play Trent against Bournemouth. I don't even think I play Trent in the full match. Uh, maybe he's on the bench for the full match. Um, and then I'd sit him in the FA Cup as well the following week. Like Trent needs to be ready when like Mo is back and we are ready to go like fire back and go for the for the title. In my opinion, end of January, give him two three weeks off. That's just me. Yeah, I kind of envision him coming in for like 20 minutes in the Fulham game, 20 minutes in the fake up game, so that he's not sure. starting the Chelsea game cold kind of an ordeal. Well, it's prediction time. Brian Shelton says is not good until Arsenal, uh, that, which would that be February 4th. I would hope he plays against Chelsea personally, but we shall see. Uh, that I know Chelsea is Chelsea, and they have to deal with Middlesbrough first, but. It still can be a tricky game defensively. I think that's what I worry about the most because they do ultimately have talent. Do they play well together? Hell no, but at least they do have the talent. Nah, okay. with, with Chilwell back, they're going to be more attacking on the left-handed side going yes. forward, which is why you want Trent, I guess. But Yes. I mean, I, I don't know if Trent helps defensively, but at least we can kind of take advantage. It helps of keep him back, maybe. <laughs> It's, yes, exactly. It kind of takes advantage of perhaps when Shilwell does push up of the That's... space behind him and stuff like that by being able to play that ball. Let's do prediction time as always on the way out. Bickler, we will start with you. Bournemouth, Liverpool, give us your prediction. Mm, I don't know if I've done it this year. I'll do clean sheet. I'll go 3 0 clean sheet. It's a weird team to do it against. I know Bournemouth love a counter. And they got four great attacking players in that lineup right now. But um, I just I don't know. I feel I feel a clean sheet coming. Hey, I'll take the I'll take that any day, uh, Galley. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say two one, not overly confident, but comfortable. I think they'll play well. I think they'll get their they'll get their goals. They'll take the lead. It'll probably be too tight at the end, but uh, two one we leave with three points, and at this point. It's three points every week, and we win the title, so I'll just take them. Brian Shelton says the Timuchin special at a 3-1. I'm actually going with a 3-2, where it will look like it's going to be the Timuchin special. Then we'll concede a bullshit second goal, 
and then it'll be squeaky bum time uh, for yes. the last four or five minutes as they keep crossing the ball in. Because that's the kind of misery I enjoy every week, people. Uh, so that's what I'm predicting, unfortunately. But I think this is a really, really tough game uh, just because of their form and the fact that they can score goals. We played against some teams where, you know, obviously it's away, but, you know, they're like, yeah, they're not going to be able to score a lot of goals. This team uh, can. Our old boy Solanke is player of the month, right, last month? I don't yep. know how much that means. Maguire was player of the month the month before that, I think. So take that with a grain of salt, uh, whatever those awards go to. But as always, give us a follow, a like on YouTube, Facebook. We are on Instagram Live now as well. And check out our Facebook page and obviously all the social medias when we announce this swag shop so we can get some pants on these Bickler boys so there is no chaos uh, running around over there. Hey, stay, try to stay warm, especially in if you're in our part of the U.S. over here. And we will see you guys next Wednesday morning with the Morning Coffee Show. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.